chapter 4. After this, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne... On each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who it was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you have created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So, Father, as we pray this morning, asking for your guidance and your help, use your servant to clarify points here this morning that we may see truth here that helps us. We are amazed at the words and what is described here, but we want to find, we want to know, we want to understand. Who we are meant to be and how we are meant to live by what we see here this day. We ask this all in your name. Amen. We are always at a severe disadvantage without adequate knowledge of anything. If we don't know what we're talking about, we shouldn't be talking about it. Just by a quick illustration, knowledge of computer programming and skill is a very useful thing. It is fascinating to understand what a computer can do and what a computer will do. I mean, you just listen about what artificial intelligence is doing now and what they plan to do with it or what they could do with it. And it's already accessible to most of the public. There are other things that you can do with computers as far as the graphics, the, what you see on the screen can be manipulated and moved if you know how to use it. 
Some of us are familiar with the old program Photoshop, and they've got new programs now that are considered open source. That means they're free online. You can download them on your computer and learn to use them. There's even a new program called text-to-speech. You can type something out and you can put it through a program and you can have someone, a voice sounds like Morgan Freeman, read it back to you. It's really quite amazing if you know how to use it. I've tried to learn some of these programs, but my only affordable resource for teaching is YouTube. And while there is a lot of stuff on YouTube, there are very few people gifted with the ability to teach. So it's still difficult to learn. So pretty much I've given up. I can learn how to, I know how to use a word processor. That's principally what I use the computer for. And a little email here and there and some research. But all of these other fancy programs, I'm still clueless. The late Douglas Adams, some of you might remember Doug Adams. He wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, I know he was an unbeliever, but I really liked his humor. He once wrote, I've come up with a set of rules that describe our reaction to technology. Anything that is in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and is just a natural part of the way the world works. Anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary and you could probably get a career in it. Anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. That's where I am. I have a cell phone. Well, it's, some people call it a spark. It's got a crack screen. All I know how to do is phone and text. You send me something on there, I don't know how to open it. You ask me to send forward something, I don't know how to do it. I, it's beyond my ability. It's against the natural order. I can't get a great deal of use out of computers or electronics like some of you probably can. I don't understand them. Here's the thing. I'm not ashamed of it. Doesn't bother me. My wife and I have already talked about it. Whenever I, I retire, we're just going to put it all out at the curb. And if anybody wants to see me, they, they can come to my house or they can call me on a landline if landlines still exist. There's a great deal of knowledge and instruction in Scripture about many things, but this morning we're going to be talking about the church and the people of God. There's a great deal of knowledge and instruction in Scripture about the church and the people of God, and it helps a great deal if we all understood what the Scripture teaches about the church when we read Revelation. But most Christians don't understand. They don't know. It's partly the church's fault because the church hasn't taught them well. It's partly the Christian's fault because the Christian hasn't applied himself or herself to learning it well. But tragically, the average Christian is not ashamed of his or her ignorance. 
When they read Revelation 4, they are impressed. They are amazed. Wow, that's, I, I just imagine that would be beautiful to see the courtroom of heaven. But what am I supposed to do with this passage? Therefore, these are the points we want to look at this morning. We want to see the church defined. We want to see the purpose of the church. We want to see God's example for the church. We want to see the expected practice by the church. First, I want to just take a moment to define the church. It's not specifically in text, but we'll get it from other places in Scripture very quickly. Then we want to look at the purpose, the example, and the expected practice. Whenever you hear preachers talk about the church, you very often hear the words ecclesia. The word literally means called out ones. But how do we get church from ecclesia? Church comes from the word kurikon. The word literally means belonging to the Lord. And it's only used once in the New Testament when it talks about the table belonging to the Lord, the Lord's table. And over the years, it came up through the, the word came up through the Germanic region and then into Scotland and got abbreviated to Kirk. It has been transliterated into English as church. Belonging to the Lord. That's what the church is. This is not surprising. The Lord has always kept a people belonging to himself. All the way back to Old Testament Israel. Deuteronomy 7, beginning at verse 6, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people in, for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people than the Lord, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So God chose a humble, pitiful group of people, children of Abraham, to be his very own, his Kirk, his church. Even the Lord Jesus himself said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God, therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The Lord reminds us, God is the one who chooses his very own, and he keeps them. And you're all very familiar with 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him 
who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So very basically, very quickly, we have the definition of the church belonging to the Lord. If you're in Christ Jesus, that's who you are. That's what you are. And you should be encouraged by that. You should be helped by that, that you are securely in his grip and he will keep his promise. He will not let you go. To be part of a church is not just your name on a membership roll. If you are in Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We will soon see that in Revelation 21. When John describes his vision of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, he reminds us that nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does not who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So the church who are called of God know that he will fulfill his promise. He has done so much already through his son Christ Jesus, and he promises us even more to be in a place where there is no more lying, there is no more death, there is no more sorrow. We have much to look forward to as the church. And we have a purpose. The church has a purpose. What is the purpose of the church? Some of you might say, oh, to spread the gospel. That's what the Lord told us to do. Yes, that's not the primary purpose. Some of you who listen to Reformed teachers may already have heard some of this. So it's a review for you. There's nothing wrong with review. It helps us remember The primary reason the church exists is not to spread the gospel. No, I'm not a heretic. Hear me out. The primary reason the church exists is to worship God. Let's look again at our text, starting at verse 2. John wrote, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. For the throne... From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. 
They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed or were created. The purpose of the church is to worship God. We look at Revelation 4 and we see, what are they doing? It's a beautiful place. It is a glorious place. But what are they doing? They are worshiping God. All of the angels, the four living creatures, all of the elders, all of them constantly praising God, worshiping him. And as a church, when we come in here on Sunday morning, that's our primary reason to be here, to worship God. Do we hear the truth of light? Are we fed by his word? Yes. Do we hear the gospel preached, reminding us of our need and his grace? Yes. But even in all of that, we give him thanks and worship his name, for he has provided it for us. This is something to think about. Here's a quote from John Piper. He wrote in the book, The Pleasures of God. God did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Let me say that again. I think we touched on this last week. People who would not be in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. Doesn't that make sense? I think we talked last week about so many people imagine that heaven's going to be like your favorite fishing hole. That's all you get to do for eternity, forever and ever. No. If you're not expecting to spend time looking into the glorious face of the most beautiful creature you, you cannot even imagine, then you're not ready for heaven. And if you're bored by church on Sunday morning, you're not ready for heaven. Paul Washer once wrote, Sunday morning in America is the greatest hour of idolatry in a whole week. Why? Because most people who are even worshiping God are worshiping a God they don't know. They're worshiping a God that looks more like Santa Claus than the God of Scripture. They're worshiping a God that is a figment of their own imagination. They created a God in their own likeness, and they worship the God they've made. I think he's pretty much correct. And that's what we, you and I, need to be careful of. We want to worship the one true God and not someone we are comfortable with. I rejoice to know that God is merciful and gracious. But I know that without that shield of grace and mercy that he has given to me through Christ Jesus, I would be nothing. I would have no hope, and I would be terrified in his presence. 
as you should be. The first thing John sees when he is given a vision of God's throne room is everyone there giving God praise and worship. That is our primary purpose. We repeat it. We state it in the first question of our catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To worship God. It means the same thing. And and enjoy him forever. You might ask, well, what about missions? What about spreading the gospel? Yes, we are supposed to do that. I am not denying that is what we are called to do. We are to give the message to the lost in order that they would then join with the rest of the church in praising God. We bring them in to worship him. And the only people he allows to worship him are those who have been cleansed, those who have been sanctified, those who have been prepared. And they are prepared through the blood of Christ Jesus. We are not supposed to lead them to Christ and then walk away. I think evangelism is vital and vitally important. And when we evangelize anyone, we need to be able to be in contact with them for follow-up. I had the I still consider a privilege I had to go to a evangelical private Christian school when I was in high school. And every Friday night, we didn't have to, but we had the option. We could go get up on a bus and go to downtown Spartanburg and hand out tracts and do sidewalk witnessing. And that gave us some good experience on learning how to share the gospel. But even then, it bothered me. If anyone is converted, what do we do with them? We never see them again. Where do they go? Where do we send them? Who disciples them? When we evangelize people, we're supposed to be bringing them into the church. We're not supposed to be leaving them alone. So we see the church defined. We see the purpose of the church is for worship. We want to see God's example for the church. There was... A beautiful and orderly way to worship God. There is a beautiful and orderly way to worship God. Verses 2 and 3. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Describing the beauty and glory of God himself. Jasper and carnelian are two stones that are classified as quartz crystal stones. They range in color from a a brilliant red, almost as beautiful as a ruby, out to kind of a yellow or golden orange. We, on this earth, when we worship God, do not have access, full access, that kind of access or that kind of vision of his throne. 
yet. We will one day in glory, but not today. The place where we worship should evoke thoughts that focus on God and his word. There should be order here. It should look attractive, and indeed it does. I, I am not ashamed of anything here. I remember hearing some of the men who participated in building this place. They looked carefully what should be done and how it should be done, and I remember the guy who was in charge of it said, everything in this room should make the eye move toward the pulpit or toward the cross or toward the front. Focus should be on the word when we worship because the word points us to him. The great cathedrals were built by skilled craftsmen centuries ago who knew the scriptures of Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel and Revelation. You wonder why they went to all the trouble? Have you ever toured any, been to Europe and toured any of those cathedrals? They looked at scripture and said, let's build places of worship that cause people to look up. And there's nothing wrong with that. Vaulted high ceilings, beautiful colors through the stained glass. Each one of them tells a story from scripture. Pointing the mind and the heart to God. That's the way they were meant to be. Some suggest we're all doing it wrong. The early churches met in houses. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with meeting in a humble church building. There's nothing wrong with meeting in a cathedral. Even in such magnificent places as a cathedral, people can lose focus. But that does not make the building a sin. If people meet there and they've lost focus, it is a testimony of the condition of man's heart that he's not truly saved, he's lost. The church is meant to follow God's instruction. There was and is a beautiful and orderly way to worship God. And we, in our own ability, need to meet that that practice as much as we possibly can. It says around the verse 4, around the throne were 24 elders and seated on the thrones were four twenty. excuse me, were 24 thrones and seated on the throne were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. 24 elders. Here's an... God is showing us that even in the courts of heaven, government's established. There is an order to the way things are done. Representatives of his people, 24, 12 tribes of Egypt, 12 apostles, giving him glory. You remember the story in Exodus 18, Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and they had set up camp and they started bringing, since Moses was the leader, Moses was a great prophet, people were coming to him for his wisdom and helped him solve problems and arguments and squabbles and court cases and it was just overwhelming burden for Moses and his father-in-law who happened to be a priest from Midian 
said, you need to assign elders from each of the tribes, men of honor and respect, to help you carry this burden. Let them deal with the burdens around them, and if they have anything they can't handle, let them bring that to you. Where do you think Jethro got that idea? Scripture is not explicit, but I think perhaps the Lord himself gave him that idea. Send this word to, this is the way it's done in heaven. Let it be done so here in my people, in my camp, in my church. The idea had to come from God. When John saw the vision, I don't think he had seen a new invention in the courts of heaven. I think it was already there. Second Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So we need to be faithful with what we are doing as believers. So we have the church defined, we have the purpose of the church, we have God's example for the church to worship him in beauty and in order, let all things be done decently in order to operate, to run, to lead our church with proper orderly leadership and always give him praise in all that we can do. And then the expected practice by the church. Bear with me as we read once more beginning in verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne was burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And therefore, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John describes the flashes of lightning and sounds of thunder Fear and reverence before the Lord. That is an expected practice we should exercise before the Lord. Fear and reverence. You know, I had thought about, I don't know how far to go with this illustration. I had thought about on Sunday morning, since we don't have any pianist or music to help us know when to begin other than me just walking up here. I thought about having Mike over the intercom just get a recording of thunder. Everybody, oh, it's time to start. But then I thought that would be too pretentious. Psalm 96 does say, Worship to the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. We are to worship him in reverential fear. In awe. 
And that's not something I can give you. That's something you have to bring. And if you're not spending time with him weekly, I can't help you much on Sunday morning. Scripture describes seven torches. They are the seven spirits. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. These seven torches or seven spirits, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there. The triune God is there. How do I know that? I, I don't have a lot of time to go into that, but we look back in Zechariah. Beginning of chapter 4, the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it with seven lamps on it and seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it and one on the right and the right of the bowl and the other on, the, on its left. We'll get back into this later on in Revelation too, but... Verse 4 again, And I said to the angel who walked before me, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know that what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, This is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This, this vision this rup that Zechariah got in this vision that John sees, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the lesson he gave to the woman at the well. It's not the place. It's the spiritual health within the soul, the redeemed soul, the redeemed heart the cleansed life. So we come to him in spirit and fear and reverence. We come to him worshiping him in spirit and truth and is only for the saints cleansed by God. Derek Thomas teaches this passage. That's what is meant by this sea of glass. It evokes a vision back to the Old Testament the great laver at the temple where the priests used to wash and prepare, they would cleanse themselves before going into the sanctuary. And we, as his children, are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our works, or not by your works, or not by my works, by his works. There's another saying Paul Washer once said, very to the point. In Christ, God saves you by himself. God saves you for himself. And God saves you from himself. It is in Christ alone we are redeemed. No other works, no other merit at all. Christ saves us by himself. Christ saves us for himself and that we might be made holy in Christ Jesus and in his truth. Christ saves us from himself because through our redemption we are removed from the wrath of God and kept safe in his hands.
So we worship him in reverence and fear. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And it is only for the cleansed saints of God. And he has sovereign authority over all creation. This next passage talks about the four living creatures. The first living creature is like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature has the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night. They never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God has sovereign authority over all creation. It describes the eyes, he, his presence, is ever, he sees it all, he observes it all, he knows what's going on everywhere. That's why the Lord Jesus himself said, he sees when the sparrow falls, he notices. He knows the number on, of hairs on your head, he notices. He has sovereign authority and sovereign knowledge over all of his creation. Psalm 8 bears testimony of that very thing. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have obtained strength because of your enemies, that you, have, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man? that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man, that you visit him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Everything that God gives us in the world is his, and we are the stewards of this place. How well are we doing? church is defined we come into revelation 4 and we read what is there and we i am promised that i will one day be there giving glory to him yes if you are in christ jesus that is my purpose to worship him yes if you are in christ jesus god gives us an example for the church Yes, he does through the teaching of his word. He expects us to practice at church. Yeah, we come here on Sunday morning. This is rehearsal for the final day when we will be with him in glory. We come to him in reverence. We come to him in spirit and truth. The holiness is provided by Christ, and we must be submissive to his authority, for he has ordained all things around us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you this day for your goodness and for your mercy and for your power and for your glory. And we pray that as we look together into this book, this revelation, that we may see how your hand has always been at work and continues to be at work. Teach us, feed us, and encourage us, Lord Jesus. It is in your precious name we pray. Amen. Let us continue.